And uh, when was the last time you told Jesus you love him? And we, ought to, we ought to tell him often. Uh, we'll do two things. It'll, it'll convict us because we ought to live in such a way that demonstrates our love for him. But then it again expresses um, how we ought to live uh, in, in gratitude and in, in uh, remembrance of his sacrifice. But... Um, we're going to turn our Bibles tonight in Matthew chapter 28. I appreciate your faithfulness coming on a Sunday evening. And we're going to continue our study here to the next dispensation. And we're going to cover quite a number of verses tonight. So I'm not sure we're going to get done in regard to this dispensation. Uh, last week we covered that, that big transition period that, that seems to be in the time space between uh, John the Baptist's uh, death right through to the salvation of the Ethiopian eunuch. And so um, now we're, we're going to just examine the next dispensation, and it begins here in Matthew 28. And in verse 1, in the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the woman, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. And I love this verse. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. And so the beginning uh, of uh, the, the, this dispensation is here, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so in our series, we're going to come to the sixth dispensation, remembering that there are seven. So we've already noticed the dispensations of innocence, conscience, human government, promise, and law. And then as indicated here uh, by, uh, by these verses, this is, this is brought about uh, by, by Jesus Christ. And notice here John chapter 1. Go to John chapter 1. So we'll turn to our scriptures tonight quite a bit. So have, um, have, have that ready. John chapter 1. And notice verse 15 here. Uh, John bear witness of him, so John the Baptist, and cried saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have all we received. And notice this, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And so we're going to study tonight this dispensation of grace. And this is the dispensation which belongs to us, of which we belong to it. And we don't belong to the dispensation of innocence because we were born into this world in sin. Okay, in sin, we were conceived. In iniquity, were we born. We don't belong to the dispensation of conscience because we have the complete revelation of God and we don't, uh, we don't need to rest upon the pricking of a conscience. Uh, we're not living in the dispensation of promise because the promise has been fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, we're not living in the dispensation of law because when the Lord Jesus Christ died upon the cross, the law was nailed to the cross. And we're delivered 
from all of its obligations and all of its demands. And I guess what I'm trying to say is this, we are a privileged people to be living in the dispensation of grace. And so we're going to study that tonight, and, and I hope that it'll just be an encouragement to you as we, as we think about the time that we are living in currently. It brings us to the current time. And so let's pray, we'll ask the Lord to help us tonight. I pray, Father, that you'd help us indeed as we open your word. And Lord, help us, Lord, to understand the things that you would have us to, to learn, and especially, Lord, as it relates to us in this time. And Father, I pray that you'd help us to recognize what a great privilege it is to live in, in this time, this dispensation of grace. Lord, it's a time where you, you're working through your church. It's a time where, Lord, um, whosoever will may come. It's a time where your spirit is working in every heart and is able to, Lord, to, to convince men of their sin and their need of you. So I pray to you, God, that you'd help us, Lord, tonight to just, one, be reminded, but then also, secondly, to rejoice in it. And then, Lord, thirdly, to be uh, greater informed and, and greater learned about the time that we live in. So I pray that you'd be honored. I pray for your enabling. I pray that you'd be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. So as uh, always, we, we notice the three uh, distinguishing characteristics indicating uh, a change in dispensation. So firstly, a change in the governmental relationship between God and man. As we learned previously under the law, God dealt primarily with the nation of Israel uh, as being the ones who dispensed the law, who who, had, who were uh, given the, the stewardship of the oracles of God. And in this time, Israel temporarily loses its sole stewardship over the truths and instructions of God. So previously it was their stewardship. They were, they were given sole stewardship. But now every person must choose to accept or reject the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. Okay, Jesus is the, the living Word of God. And then furthermore, God takes the written words of God and makes them available to all men. All right, when a, when a person places their trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior, He as Lord rules over their life through the Spirit of God that indwells them. And we know this, these verses in 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20, uh, relating to us, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. So we understand at this time, God is dealing directly to the individual um, and, and he has access uh, through Jesus Christ, okay? And so there's that change in the governmental relationship between God and man. Then secondly, there's a resultant change in man's responsibility to God. So all of mankind, including Israel, again, is responsible to repent of their sin and place their trust, all right, in Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. Okay, the sacrifices have ceased, you know, in the law, uh, through all of the, the ceremonial law, all of the offerings that had to be offered. Um, but again, the sacrifices have ceased. Why? Because Jesus, okay, being the final sacrifice, completely removes sin. All right, in Acts 20, 21, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And so there's a calling there in Hebrews 10, 10, by the which will... We are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. And I love these last few words, once for all. All right? And so that's the age that we live in. Um, we, our responsibility is to come to a, a place of trusting and looking to Jesus Christ as our Savior. But then thirdly, there's a corresponding revelation from God necessary to effect change. And here it is. Jesus Christ rose from the dead and sent 
his apostles and disciples to preach the message of salvation freely given by the grace of God to all who believe. Okay, so additionally, Jesus chooses specifically Saul of Tarsus, later Paul, to be the apostle to the Gentiles who also reveals the mysteries of God to the world. Okay, so the, the inspired writings of the apostle Paul becomes a primary guide to the church of God in this dispensation. Look at Romans chapter 16. Look at Romans chapter 16. And uh, notice verse 25. And this is the Apostle Paul writing. He says, Now to him that is of power to establish you according, notice this, to my gospel, okay, and the, and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began. And so understand that, that as Apostle Paul was being given this, this privileged knowledge of the mystery, it was indeed a mystery in ages past. Okay, no, one, no one understood it. No one even saw it. It was given for Paul uh, as, the, as, a, as the steward of it all. And the, the revelation then comes into effect through um, God's revealing to Saul of Tarsus, later Paul. Okay, so obviously then the steward, the main steward here uh, during this time is Apostle Paul. Okay, um, if you, you read his story, you understand that he... Again, he was an enemy of the, of the church. He was there persecuting zealously. And he was there uh, as part of the, the party watching uh, the stoning of Stephen. And he was well known within the, the church circles there uh, as the one who was a great enemy. And yet the amazing thing about grace is this. God turns it all around. And he, he, he comes and reveals himself to the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 9, verses 15 to 16, but the Lord said unto him, Go thy way. So he's, he's saying he, uh, this to Ananias, who's going to go see him, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name. And notice this before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And so, in instructing this, uh, this Christian man, Ananias, to go and see um, the Saul of Tarsus. He was saying here that, that he was a chosen vessel specifically to bear Jesus' name to the Gentiles. And we, of course, we know Paul as the apostle to the Gentiles. He refers to that himself. All right, so, so he's the primary steward of the dispensation of grace, the church age of which we live. And uh, you would note, and we'll note later, that, that throughout, the, uh, throughout the, the New Testament here in the writings of Paul, that is the main revelation of which we get our doctrine as a, a local New Testament church. That's why we are a New Testament church. It, it is based upon the writings of Paul as revealed to him by, by God, by the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, in every dispensation, there is, a, there is a relating and related covenant. And in this dispensation of grace, this dispensation of the church age, we have the, the new covenant. Okay, the new covenant. And we learn about this in Jeremiah chapter 31 initially. We'll go back there in the Old Testament now, Jeremiah 31. And then we'll also see this reference in Hebrews chapter 8. So um, I hope that you're, you're ready. You're just looking to turn to your, your Bible tonight. So this, this new covenant, okay, this covenant, a covenant, again, is an agreement between God and man, right? So this new covenant is, is part of this time of dispensation, uh, of, um, of grace. And so in Jeremiah chapter 31, notice here verse 31, 
Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write in it their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. So uh, as God was writing this again, at this point, it was a mystery what was going to happen the, the revealing of, of God's plan to engraft the, the, uh, the Gentiles. So again, he's still referring here to the house of Israel. But this covenant is, is, is in, in play right now. Look at Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8. And uh, notice verses, verses 8 to 12. So here, again, referring to the nation of Israel, for finding fault with them. Okay, he saith, behold, the days come, uh, saith the Lord. So again, referring to, to the, that passage that we just looked at in Jeremiah chapter 31. Um, he says, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor, every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. The notice is, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. In that he saith, A new covenant he hath made the first old, now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. So he's referring to here a, 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 trans, a moving away from the old to this new covenant. And then look at chapter 10 now, Hebrews 10, and look at verses 16 and 17. And here, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Okay, so uh, this, this type of covenant is unconditional. He's promising this to them. Um, and so the parties of the covenant here is God with Israel through Christ and then God with Christians through Christ. Okay, so, so the provisions of the condition then of, uh, of this is this. God will put His laws into their mind and write them in their hearts. And then also God is merciful, remembering sins and iniquities no more. And the condition of the covenant is this, that they would just believe in faith, all right? Um, this, this covenant really is, is something foretold, and, and this cannot be broken. And really, part of God's promise within this covenant is, is what we receive when we receive Christ as our Savior, eternal life. Okay, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believed in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. All right, um, again, he talks about in John 10, 28, that we are going to have eternal life. No man can pluck them out of his hand. Um, look at Ephesians chapter 1. 
Look at Ephesians chapter 1. And notice verses 13 and 14. It says, In whom you also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. And so we learn there that this eternal life, this everlasting life, it cannot be taken away. Right? Once you're saved... You're saved. Okay, there's a permanency about that. You can't lose it. All right, so, so if you trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, um, you, could, you could go tomorrow and you could have the, most, the worst moral failing and God guarantees it, you're still saved. Isn't that grace? And so again, as part of this related covenant, this new covenant is intact at the moment. Um, the duration of this covenant began with the death of Jesus on the cross. We see that in Hebrews 9. So turn back to Hebrews. Hebrews 9. And uh, verses 11 and 12. It says, But Christ being come and high priest of good things to come, by, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. And, um, and he, he reiterates that, look at Ephesians chapter 2, and verses 12 to 22. And so he's saying there that, that the things that of the past, referring to the sacrifices, they're going to be, they're done away with. And now he's come, he's offered the perfect sacrifice, and he's, he's offered redemption once for all. It's, it's all done. He, he had to just enter in once. And all of that, that has been done away now. But it started there at the, at the death of Jesus on the cross. Ephesians 2, look at verse, um, verse 12. That at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. And so because of the blood of Christ, He's drawn us, uh, drawn us close. He's, he's engrafted us. He says, for He is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in His flesh the enmity. Remember, prior to salvation, we were at enmity with God. We weren't reconciled. We weren't atoned. We were made at one with God. By saying he's, he's, he's broken down that middle wall, He's abolished in His flesh to enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in Himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that He might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. For through Him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father." Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto the holy, uh, unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God 
through the Spirit. And so, so in seeing the, the, the mystery uh, given in, in Christ Jesus, that, that middle wall of partition being broken down and that law being defeated, He brings about this one building. All right, And, and so it, it's going to be established really with the nation of Israel. Um, it's going to come to fulfillment for them. It's fulfilled in us now who are saved, who have accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior. But it's going to come to effect with the nation of Israel really at His second coming. Okay, look at Romans chapter 11. And again, this is a promise. It's unconditional. It's a, it's a covenant that he, will, he has made with Israel, but through Jesus Christ is made with us. But then in Romans 11, notice verse 25 to 27. He says this, For I would not, brethren, Romans 11, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so again, as you observe it, you understand that at this point, there's blindness given to Israel. And, and we know of our missionary over there. Um, and we, we understand that, that he has a very tough task. <laughs> as he tells uh, the, the, Israel, uh, the Jewish people of their, their Savior in Jesus Christ. But there's blindness there in part. And he says, and so all Israel, notice this, shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. And, and there's, a, there's a coming day, there's a promise when Jesus Christ comes back. And by the way, we'll be coming back with him, right? But when he comes back, they're going to see him in the air. And they're going to repent. And they're going to accept Him as their Messiah. And there will be a corporate here all. They, they will be saved as they look upon Him and accept Him. And so the conclusion then of the covenant really is this. It will remain forever with all promises kept. And we'll see that uh, in the next dispensation we learn about of, of the kingdom. Alright, but, um, but the, that covenant is in place now. Okay, through Jesus Christ, through His sacrifice. And then it will come to be... Um, at the second advent of Jesus Christ, at His second coming in regard to the nation of Israel, as promised, as prophesied, as covenanted by God. And so currently then, what, what is man's state before God? Um, then, so in this dispensation, again, it's referred to as the grace, uh, the dispensation of grace or the church age. Why? Because it's a time when God allows um, all who will believe on Christ to be included in His plan of redemption. Okay, there are absolutely no works involved. All right, that's grace. Grace is unmerited favor or kindness. Grace isn't grace if we feel like we deserved it. If we feel like somehow God favored us because we were special. No, it's unmerited favor or kindness. We did nothing. We don't, we don't, we don't deserve it. And yet, because of his un, this favor and this kindness, just on his part, he's given us grace. There's absolutely no works involved. And, and people here gain redemption by the grace of God and become a part of the church, which is the body of Christ. All right? And so, so we have the local church, but we understand that all saved in, uh, people in collection is the church of Christ. It's the body of Christ. 
Okay, as we learned in the early stages of this dispensation, there was a transition between law and grace that occurred, and God dealt with the Jew first. But ultimately, though, after the rejection of Jesus Christ by the religious and national leaders of Israel, grace brought into the body both Jew and Gentile as the church into one body. Okay, that's why in Ephesians chapter 2, it was referring to the one building. All right? So into the one body, both Jew and Gentile, uh, where there is neither Jew nor Gentile. Okay, um, we see that, uh, we know that in Romans 1.16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Um, Notice here Ephesians chapter 2, we were there earlier, go back there. And I think we're going to turn there another time, so keep your... Keep your bookmark there. Keep your finger there. Um, Ephesians chapter 2 and uh, verses 14 and 16. Again, for, for he is our peace, who hath both uh, made both one and hath broken down the middle wall partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments. All right, so for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. So he's, he's, he's also broken that divide between, as he sees it, Jew and Gentile. He's broken that divide. And, and so in Galatians 3.28, the Bible is clear to tell us there is neither Jew nor Greek. Gentile. There is, there is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. In Colossians 3.11, where there is neither Greek nor Jew. Circumcision or uncircumcision. Barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free. But Christ is all and in, in all. And so we're in a time now where anyone, whosoever will, may come, even those who are part of the nation of Israel, if they believe, then they believe unto salvation, the gospel, right? But similarly for us as Gentiles, those who are not part of, the, of national Israel, we understand then that we're all part of that redemption plan as well. And so really it's a time now primarily dealing with the Gentiles, but again, in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek. And we're just talking about the state of man in this current age. And in this current age, really, every man is a sinner by nature, choice, and practice. No one's an exemption from that. Uh, Romans 5.12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. All right, no one's exempt from that. Uh, you, can be as, you can be much better than your neighbor, but you're still a sinner. All right? Every man is a sinner by nature, by choice, and by practice. And therefore, every man then is condemned by God. In John 3.18, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And, and I don't know about you, but it... it it gives me shivers down my neck to understand that I was once under the condemnation of God. And you think about it. The Bible tells us knowing the terror of the Lord. We understand that's why we ought to warn men. That's why, they, that's why when we, 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 we go around, we see people, there ought to be a brokenness about, about them because we know they're under the condemnation of God. And if we're not fearful about that, we don't know God enough. 
And we understand then that every man in this dispensation is condemned by God. In Romans 5.18, Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. And I'm glad for that. Um, this period then is, is marked by, by three groups of people. Um, he says Jews, Gentiles, the church of God. And so in 1 Corinthians 10.32, remember in Christ there's no, neither Jew nor Greek. But as God views it, he, he views the three groups of people, Jews, Gentiles, and the church of God. In, in 1 Corinthians 10.32, give none offense neither to the Jews nor to the Gentiles nor to the church of God. But then every person in these groups falls into two categories. Okay, so you have three groups of people, two categories. One, saved sinners, or secondly, unsaved sinners. <laughs> and I wonder, what, I wonder if you're here tonight and you, you know for sure that you're, you're a saved sinner. You're a sinner saved by the grace of God. I wonder if that's you tonight. I hope that's you tonight. But you belong to, to those two groups. And, and all, unless you're, you're, you're a Jew, um, by, by, your, by your birth, by, your, uh, by your, um, your heritage, then God views you as a Gentile. But then when you're saved, He views you as part of the church of God. All right, so He really views, you know, we have all of these political maps, right? We look at the back, we have our missions, um, some of our missionaries there, and we see the, the world map, we see the divisions, the borders. God doesn't look at the world that way. He looks at every individual and He sees them belonging to those three groups but then in two categories. Okay, so then what is, that's man's state before God. What's, what's then man's responsibility toward God? And it really simply is this, believe and obey. Okay, believe and obey. Man is responsible to receive and believe the gospel message. But there's a catch to that. Those who are saved have the responsibility to tell. We have that responsibility. Don't, don't, don't shirk that responsibility. We, we have this age. It belongs to us and we belong to it. But it comes with those, those things. And every person, then man's responsibility toward God, every person must repent of their sin and turn to Christ in faith. In Acts 17.30, and the, the, the times of his igno this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. And so, so this is the man's responsibility to God, uh, toward God. But in all of this, there's absolutely no works involved. Remember, one of the, the rules of, of clearly, um, clearly, uh, clearly looking at Scripture and, and interpreting it is not to allow the, the unclear to guide the thing that is clear. And, you know, there's some who would argue that repentance has no place in salvation. That, that, is, that is absolutely false. Repentance is part of salvation. Repentance is not a work. Right? They, argue that, they argue that somehow repentance is a, it's a work. You've got to work your way to it. But understand, repentance as we know it is, is a change of mind. It's an understanding that I'm a sinner, and because of it I must turn from that sin and turn to the only one who can save me. And so, but... but if we know that there's absolutely no works involved in salvation and repentance is also a part of that, then repentance can't be a work. <laughs> you understand? That's pretty logical there. Look at, look at Romans chapter 5. 
And I'm not sure, I'm not sure why it's such a stumbling block for some. Uh, I, I think they're, they're misdefining the word repentance, to be honest. But we must be careful with that. He says in Romans 5, 1 and 2, he says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, not of works, lest any man should boast. All right, look at Titus chapter 3. Look at Titus chapter 3. Again, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Okay, so not by works of righteousness. In, in Galatians 2.16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have, believed, uh, we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ. And not by the works of the law, for the works of the law shall no flesh be justified, and I'm just trying to emphasize tonight, emphasize tonight, there's absolutely no works involved. All right, there's no works. And part of man's responsibility isn't to work his way. No, it, 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 it's of grace. But then we see, even in this time, that there's, there's failure before God. And you've listened well. We might, we might actually finish tonight, but we'll see. Um, we see man's failure before God. And isn't it, isn't it telling that in this time of grace, where God offers His grace, unmerited favor and kindness, that even in this time, there's, there's failure. And here it is, the first way is this grace is rejected. You know, the, one of the most heartbreaking things is to, to go through the gospel with someone and you see conviction and they still say no. And then you see them and they, you might meet up with them another time and they've gone back to perhaps their, their religion and they're still trying to work, work, work. I think that's one of the saddest things to see. And, um, and, and yet they, they understand really it's a, a rejection of that grace in Romans ten sixteen. but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? And, you know, we, we have the responsibility to go and tell others about Christ, but it's not our job to win them. They must choose for themselves. You know, sometimes, don't you wish sometimes you can choose for people? <laughs> don't, don't you wish you, there, there was that, those friends of yours, you, you high schoolers, you know, they're just not saved, and it would be wonderful if they got saved. And you wish you just can choose for them. You, you, ever, you have a loved one. Uh, maybe close to death, maybe someone who's not well and they're just not saved, they're, they're lost, they're rejected. And you just wish you can choose for them, but it's, it's just not the case. They must choose. And, and yet there's grace is rejected. Um, and it's interesting, isn't it? Often when we, we go and tell others about the, the free gift of salvation by grace, that they would rather try to work their way to heaven. And I think that's why the Bible tells us that that we will not boast ourselves, right? That, that, uh, that it's not by works lest any man should boast. And um, secondly, man's failure before God. Most people blame God and accuse Him of being a liar because of their own unbelief. Notice there, it, it, 
Look at 1 John 5.10. 1 John 5.10. And notice what the Bible says here. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar. Why? Because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And so really when... when um, Part of man's failure is there's a blaming of God and accusing, accusing him of being a liar. Why? Because of their unbelief. They're in unbelief. They can't, they can't please God. And God can't please them in that sense. But then also here, really, in regard to even saved people, there's a failure before God because sometimes God's people also grow cold and indifferent to Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying that as if that's never happened to me. There's been times where I know if I'm, if I'm honest and real, there's been times where I've been, where I've been grow, uh, grown cold to the one who loved me most. And God's people can grow cold and indifferent to Jesus Christ. That's a dangerous place to be. It's a sad place to be. But that is, that is part of this, this dispensation, uh, part of man's failure. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. And he says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, okay, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power of the rub from such turn away. From this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive, silly, uh, captive silly women laden with sins, laid, led away with diverse lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. But notice there in verse 5, having a form of godliness but denying the, the power of the rub being lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. And, and we just can observe that it's a pretty apt description of our day, really. And so this, it's a time where there's that, there's that moving away from those things that are godly. In, in chapter 4, verse 4, notice there, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. And we should have read verse 3, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. All right, and, and, but uh, after their own lust shall this, they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And there's, 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 a, there's a turning away from sound doctrine of not wanting to hear it. Um, and, and really the classic example of that is in Revelation chapter 3, isn't it? Revelation chapter 3. And, and really um, the... The span of Scripture that we'll, we'll look at ends in verse 22, but we'll look at this church here. Re, uh, Revelation 3, look at verse 14. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of, out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. 
says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich in white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou, thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. And uh, We know about the, the church of Laodicea. Uh, they were neither cold nor hot, which means they had gotten cold from, the, from where they were at. They, they, were, they, they should have been on fire for God. They should have been... They should have been hot for God, and yet they were lukewarm. They had grown cold, really. And, and so we understand that there's an indifference sometimes here, like we see, to Jesus Christ. And, and you know, this, the sad thing is this, that, that often, often um, as Christians, we can find ourselves to the point where we have to be pumped up for God. And I think in our day of, of sometimes worshiptainment, that's really what it takes for there to be any life in a church where they have to be somehow drummed up and pumped up. And we better be careful if that's the case for us. You know, the Word of God ought to, ought to be something that we, we are passionate about. We ought not to be indifferent to it. The, the preaching of the Word of God, we ought not to be indifferent to it where we just sort of just do it out of duty. When we, when we come together, it ought to be a time where where our hearts, and really as we come in our gathering together, there ought to be a, 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 a realization of a responsibility that we prepare our hearts through the week. That we grow, we grow more and more um, toward our, closer toward our Savior. And yet there's an indifference, isn't there? And, and, and at times, it's, just, it's, it's so, uh, so obvious and we better take great care. And I'm saying that about myself, by the way. We are prone to wander. We are prone to this. We, we, we are living in this time. And yet we are, must understand that, that that's part of failure. Um, and so because of that, there's, there's God's judgment okay, upon ma- man's failure. And really God will give those who reject Jesus Christ over to their unbelief and send them wandering in error. In 2 Thessalonians 2, says, and for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And Second Peter, if you quickly turn there, Second Peter, Second Peter chapter 2. Notice there, but, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies even denying the Lord that brought them, brought them and bring, them, uh, bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall f- follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. There's, a, there's a, um, that rejection of Jesus Christ uh, enters into them a strong delusion and, and believing a lie. And they would follow after these things, that, these evil words. And so that's part of God's judgment then upon man's failure. Secondly, those who reject Christ will, will, eternity, will spend eternity in the lake of fire. And that's a reality. It's a sad reality. But Revelation 20.15, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And, and, and let's not forget uh, preaching about that, uh, that judgment of hellfire. It, it's, still, it's still in the book. 
and we better take great and careful, um, careful time to ensure that people understand that. But there's those who reject Jesus Christ. They're going to spend eternity in the lake of fire. But then also God's people will be judged for their works. So those of us who are saved will be judged for our works. We know this as the judgment seat of Christ. Okay? In 2 Peter 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Okay, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. And so there will be a time of reckoning, not for salvation, but for what we have done in this life. And again, that order fill our hearts with great trepidation and fear, because one day we don't want to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and all of the, the things that we thought we worked so hard to, to do just goes... Pfft, in a big, big fire. And it just burns up in front of our eyes. And so that's part of God's judgment upon man's failure. But then, uh, nextly, God will pour out His wrath upon the unbelieving world. And there will be a day of reckoning for this world. There will be a time where God will judge, uh, even, um, even as Israel will go through the tribulation, which I think next time we'll, we'll look at as a, again, a parathetical time, a time of transition. But Israel, even in tribulation, it'll be called the time of Jacob's trouble because God is really going to judge them. But then after that, God's going to burn up this earth with fervent heat. The flood will no longer come. God's promised that. But next time, it'll be by fire. In Revelation 16, verses 5 and 6, And I heard the angel of the of the water say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and shalt be, because thou hast judged thus. For they have shed the blood of the saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. And there's going to be a time of reckoning for those who are rejected, those who, who said those things and, and did those things to those of His people. But God will pour out His wrath upon an unbelieving world. And knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord. Right. That's why we warn men. But again, as, as we think about all of those things that, that you know, ought to, ought to sober us up, we understand that in all of this, God gives provision for man. And again, we, we do have bad news, but we do have great news, good news to share. And there is an escape from sin. There is an escape from eternal punishment. There is an escape from God's wrath. And that's through Jesus Christ's shed blood and atoning death. For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that He might be the made, of, made the righteousness of God in Him. And that's the message we share. You know, there is an escape from God's judgment on mankind. And, and we know this through, uh, we know this as the rapture. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. Look at 1 Corinthians 15 and look at verses, uh, verses 51 uh, through to 54. It says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump for the trump, um, trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, 
Then shall be brought to pass a saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. And I'm, I'm looking forward to the day where I shed this robe of flesh and I put on. I put on immortality. From corruption to incorruption. Um, you know, uh, probably all of us here have some sort of complaint now about our body. <laughs> we creak. We sort of, uh, sometimes we, we, things just don't seem to uh, readjust anymore. You know, a, a, a car, a, a trip in that motorbike from this morning, right? We saw that motorbike with the, with, the, with the trailer. I can only imagine riding in that in Myanmar, all right, and the readjustments you'd have to make after that. But um, one day, uh, there's going to be escape from all of that through the rapture. And I'm glad for that. You see, the believers also can judge sin in his or her own life each day and gain rewards. And so while we have this time, we have victory over sin. We have victory over this flesh. And when we judge ourselves and the sin that is in our lives and we confess, then we gain rewards. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And uh, in verse 11, he says, For other foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And that if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. And, uh, and he says there that, that uh, again, at the judgment seat of Christ, if we would judge ourselves and we would, we would live accordingly, then we gain. But if we don't, then we lose. We don't lose salvation, but we lose our rewards. We lose those things that we, we so thought that we, we had laid up in store. And so we better take great care, all right? And, and at this time, God has given us God has given us the ability to, to overcome that in our lives and judge that in our own lives. And there will be a day of, though, of judgment for that. But at this time, and I want to implore you at this time, we ought to have that, that, with, that in mind as we look to, uh, to look to our future and how we live. There ought to be, uh, there ought to be a, a realization that it's this time that we can only live for Christ. And really the crucial event of all of this is the rapture of the church. The rapture of the church. And, and I don't know, I'm, I just get pretty excited about that. I, I just, this world, all of its riches, big deal. <laughs> really, big deal. Um, I, I'm looking forward to the rapture. Really am. Um, even, even if it was tonight. Even if it was right now. I hope so. Some of you, you you've, you're still not married. You're like, no, just wait a little bit longer. Might be waiting even longer, all right, for some of you. But anyway, um, but the crucial event is the rapture, the the the, capture, uh, the rapture of the church, caught up with him in the air. Um, really, the trend in this dispensation, even though it's a, a time of grace, is it's still away from God. And uh, we won't, uh, for sake of time, we won't turn we won't turn to all of these scriptures. If you would just write them down, you can look at it later. 
but there is an ever-growing effort to silence the gospel. We, we know that. But right from the early days of the church in Acts chapter 5, verses 17 to 40, even the early church had enemies that wanted to stop the gospel, silence the gospel. Uh, we read it already in 2 Timothy 3, but uh, there's a, uh, men become lovers of their own selves and of pleasures more than they are lovers of God. Uh, men will turn to fables and to doctrines of devils. We saw that in 1 Timothy chapter 4. And then God's people become indifferent to the Word of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And we read that in the example of the church of Laodicea. They became lukewarm and they were neither cold nor hot. You know what they were? They were indifferent. They were apathetic. And, you know, it, it's, um, it's, it ought to be that we as, uh, who have been quickened, made alive, there ought to be, there ought to be a, a passion about what we do for God. And it ought not to be something that we just sort of are ho-hum about. There ought to be a passion for our lives. But we better take great care because you know what? The characteristic of this time at times is this indifference. But really, that's a, that's a sign that you've, uh, you've bought into, that it's inevitable. But listen, we still have this time to live for God. And so the span of Scripture that we've covered here is Matthew 28, right through to Revelation. We saw that there in chapter 3, verse 22. From then on in the, in the pages of your Scriptures there in Revelation, He deals with uh, future events. And so from the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, uh, right unto the, until the rapture of the church. And so again, it's important to note that from Matthew 28 uh, 20, through to the first part of the book of Revelation, it covers the church age doctrine and application. Remember, remember, we said it last week, make sure you're reading your own mail. That's our mail. <laughs> read it. Okay, we ought to read the whole scriptures, but read that particularly. And, and what I'm speaking about is the, the Pauline epistles, Romans to Philemon. They're the, the primary books relating to the church. There's the general epistles. That's Hebrews to Jude. Now, they have church age application, but also point to a Jewish audience. But then we see the rapture of the church is, is clearly laid out for us there in 1 Thessalonians. So the way of salvation in this dispensation of, of, um, of grace is faith. Okay, Faith would manifest itself by, uh, by uh, obeying the gospel. And so unlike any other dispensation, the age of grace completely removes works. We're saved to work. We know that in Ephesians 2.10. Right? We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. But the absence of works really has no bearing at all on the salvation or the security of the believer. Um, there's therefore now no condemnation. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And, and whilst we are called to work, if there's an absence of works, so that we can't just point to that, is what I'm saying. But, but in this dispensation, there's no works. All right, it's just, it's just faith alone in Christ, turning to Him for our salvation. And really, because of all of this, we, we really rely upon the grace and mercy of God. And so, God's mercy and grace are permanent fixtures. Don't forget that in the life of the believer. The disobedient believer, while being chastened, yet this can never be severed from Christ. But I'll tell you what, you'll be miserable. There will be chastening. And you don't want to be under that too. And Ephesians 2.7, 
that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. And that's, that's where we're at now. We have the kindness of Christ. And beloved, tonight we're living in the dispensation of grace. Okay, the other dispensations are of interest to us. Why? Because we need to know how to rightly divide the word of truth. But the dispensation of grace should be exceedingly important to us because we're in it. We're involved in it. And so don't take that for granted. You know, you often, you often hear this, you know, God, God in His sovereignty, He could have allowed you to be born another time. And that's true. But He allowed you and I to be born this time. And we have this age of grace. And we better, we better, not, um, we better not take that for granted. We better not reject the grace of God in our lives. And not, not if you're saved, not according to salvation, but according to the grace that, that is offered us each day. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of Christ Jesus. Listen, we ought to grow in that. And we ought to, we ought to more and more appreciate the, the age we live in and the time that we have now to then tell others of the grace of God. All right, let's pray. Father God, thank you. Lord, for this opportunity. And, and Father, thank you, Lord, for how well each one listened tonight. I pray to God that that encourages us, that, Lord, it helps us to, to put into a point of reference, Lord, Lord, the time that we live in, the, 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 the privilege it is, but then also the great responsibilities that we have, Lord, to tell others about you, dear God. I pray, Lord, that through this week also that we would, we would take the opportunity, Lord, to examine ourselves, to judge ourselves, so that one day, we might stand before you and please you in, in, in the things that, we've, uh, that you will reward us, but in the things that we will then cast at your feet. And I pray, dear God, that you just be, be honored. Lord, in our study, help us, Lord, I pray in Jesus' most precious, holy, wonderful name. Amen. All right, thank you.